And that was the track called This Night Has Opened My Eyes from the power pop combo, The Smiths. Yes, from the album Hatful of Hollow. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. (laughs) 
Welcome once again as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't and some you should. As always, I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop. This week's special guest is going to be Dave Thomas from Prayer Ubu because I caught up with him a few months ago. So I'll be bringing you that interview in four or five easy to digest little segments throughout the show. As always, we'd like to have another classic playlist. I thought we should start with one of their favourites or my favourites anyway, and that's all that matters. Let's face it. This is called Wasted. Stinging and cold, the sum of the years, the story untold in the heart of our hearts, the heart of the soul, at the heart of the hopes and the fears that we've known. We know, we'll know, we were throwing time away, recklessly throwing time away. Oh, throwing time away, recklessly throwing time away. Look what's been done in the heart of our hearts, the heart of the soul, the heart of the hopes and the fears that we've known. We know, we'll know, we were throwing time away, breathlessly throwing time away, oh, throwing time away, recklessly throwing time away, oh.
Joseph Kay and the track called Sorry for Laughing that came out in 1981 on the album The Only Fun in Town and that was on Postcard Records I know, the famous Postcard Records in Scotland and before that we had this week's special guest that was a track called Wasted from the album Story of My Life Yes, it's Per Ubu because I caught up with David Thomas recently well, I think it was early in the year so I've got that interview that I'm going to be bringing to you in a very short time because it was a long chat I know, we did talk for a very long time but they have got lots of exciting news they've got a box set that's just come out also, this is a celebration of their latest release which was title 20 years in a montana my missile silo and a live date in new york on the uh, friday the 17th of august there you go make it make it so but anyway i thought i should play a track from their latest album this is called monkey business What you might mean to me Slow, baby, slow Go, baby, go Sex clouds Bounce around Monkeys and clouds Monkeys and clowns will bounce around. 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 Monkeys and clowns will bounce around.
thinking as well it really does rock that's uh, monkey business that was the opening track from their last album that came out on cherry red records and that was title 20 years in a montana missile silo that um, i think was september 2017 and uh, like i said they've also got a box set that's come out on the fire record label and they have also got some dates throughout europe in may and june which are also worth checking out but anyway this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And this is the first part of my interview with David Thomas from the band. Um, when I talked a little bit about his early years, because he used to be a, um, a writer in a uh, music magazine before turning himself into turning himself into becoming a rock and roll artist. And this was the first part of the interview. There's been some people. I didn't have particularly have a love of music. I... Um, um, it was, I was working on a, I wanted, I had much more of an interest in, in, I guess you'd call it journalism. And I got a, I got a, I dropped out of college and, um, there wasn't, there's, there's nobody been a college graduate in Perubu until about 1995. Um, we were all dropouts, um, interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, and I got a job on a, a friend of mine was working on a music weekly and I got a job doing that. And um, I just started, uh, they just put me on writing. I was, I was on art layout and I was trying to correct the grammar and the punctuation and the writing of all of these not very good writers at the, at the layout stage of a paper and this was a headache to everybody. So they said, why don't you just start writing this stuff yourself? You know, and um, that's how I got into writing about music. I really had no particular, no, you know, not an, not an especial particular love of music, actually. Yes. But obviously, it was definitely, you created a sound, and this was kind of, you know, the mid-70s. So it was quite an interesting time. Well, kind of interesting. There was there was moments in the 70s which were quite interesting. You know, you had that Bowie, Iggy Pop, Lou Reed kind of stuff. Plus you also had that glam kind of stuff, which was awful. And then some weird prog rock stuff. So you sort of come charging into the middle of it. Um, really not following any fashion, were you? No, 
No, well, I, I don't. You know, everybody disparages the seventies. It's not particularly any worse than any other decade. There was a lot of very interesting things going on. There was the whole analog synthesizer, concrete sound. Um, manipulation, creation of sound, all that stuff was going on, um, it had its roots there, and it was a very, it was, that was the period where all of that was happening, you know, and that, that interested me, there was people around in Cleveland, like Alan Ravenstein and others who, you know, were doing things with analog synthesizers, and it seemed very obvious to us that, um, <clears throat> well, it seemed yeah, it seemed obvious to us. It seemed obvious to me that um, this was the what you would call the new wave. I, I suppose you know, I think we were one of the first people to to use the term new wave. You know, we, you know, we weren't stupid people. We, you know, we were aware of the French cinema where we got the. You know, we got new wave from French cinema. Uh, human beings are obsessed with numbers that end in zero. You know, uh, what's the difference between 1969 and 1970? It's 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 a number. You know, so um, you know, I I see things as a continuum. You know, there there is a very clear evolutionary um, or developmental. Um, uh, line manifest destiny to 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 rock music, you know. And to me, it's a straight it's a straight line. Um, there's there, you know, a, a what the art the art part of it is a straight line. The 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 pop music part of it isn't, you know. But that's not my problem. I was, you know, I was never a pop musician. I, I you know, we, you know. It, 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 it's I always, you know, it's it's again I, I compare it to something in film. You know, there is a very famous tracking shot that begins "Touch of e Orson Welles' "Touch of Evil," where he does this very 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 long tracking shot through a town, and um, he's following. I can't remember the actor's name. Anyway, um, this. This, as he drives through town, heading for the border crossing, you know, a long tracking shot, and um, and Orson Welles was filming this at night, and you know he got he did this long tracking shot and he got to the border crossing and the border the border guard was just supposed to say good evening, Mister Rivera, whatever his name was, you know, and so they, this. Long tracking shot. The border, the actors, the border guard actor sees this thing coming to him, and all he's got to do is say "Good evening, Mr. Rivera," but he blows the line. So you know they re they reset the thing. They do this long tracking shot to the border guard, and he sees this whole thing coming towards him, and he blows this line the second time. Meanwhile, the sun is coming up. And 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 Orson Welles is out of time, so Welles just says, "Move your lips, just move your lips," you know. Well, you know, we saw this long tracking shot, this long evolutionary line with, con you know, with analogs, electronic sound being introduced, and all of that, and we didn't blow our lines when it got to us, you know. It 
you know, the whole history came to us. We were the right people at the right place at the right time, and we didn't blow it, you know. And the, the one thing that we can be credited with, I think, is that we were paying attention. We were simply paying attention to what was going on. I hope you're making notes of that, because I will test you at the end. Pay attention, that's number one. Anyway, this is David Eastall, and this is um, the C86 Show. If you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 Show. But uh, you'll probably guess this week's week's special guest is David Thomas from Pear Ubu, who's got um, several new releases and a bit of a tour happening at the moment, which I'll give you some more information about a bit later. But I thought we should play some more music. This is from their first ever album, which was called Modern Dance. This is the track which is called Street Waves. Yes, I just had to look down at that. This um, was reviewed in the Rolling Stone and they called it Vivid and Exhilarating. There you go. Check it out.
There you go. That was a track called Street Waves, and that came from their debut album, The Modern Dance, and uh, that was from 1978, all the way from Cleveland. There you go. Anyway, this is the second part of my interview with David Thomas, where we talk about that um, actual album and whether he was happy with it, and this was his reply. We knew what we were. We knew that we were the the best band in the world um, and that we were special and we also knew that nobody was ever gonna, you know, nobody was ever gonna know it, you know. And we we were in a sort of a town that was not on the east or west coast, and there was all this stuff that happens in places like London and New York, and everybody pays attention to that, and nobody was gonna pay attention to us, and we couldn't, we could barely get a show, find a place to play in Cleveland, so. Yeah, we knew what we were. We're not. We weren't. We weren't naive. We didn't. You know. It. I. I told you. We. You know. We were standing at the bus stop. The bus came along, and we got on it. You know. Um, uh, we weren't naive about. It, nor were we overly modest. You know. In November 1978, I remember the show. It was. It was. It was at the Electric Ballroom in London, and I know, and I knew that that night we were the best band in the world that there ever would be, and this was the one special electric night that we achieved everything, um, you know. And then, you know, so um, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I know this all sounds big-headed and arrogant, but tough luck, you know. We were, uh, we knew what we were. Yes, but it's interesting because it kind of spoke to quite a lot of you know bands from America, including sort of um, Kurt Cobain when they first came over on that very first album that they did, Bleach, and and also you know various people from Galaxy Five Hundred who came out a bit later. But the interesting thing is that often when they were in America, they were sort of feeling sort of kind of lost in this vast continent, and then when they came to the UK, they re- realised that they were given a lot more respect and there was much more of a a scene to sort of be almost kind of part of straight away because there was like three music papers. We had the John Peel show, which was obviously a sort of beacon of sort of, I suppose, interest in an alternative music. And also sort of realised the fans, you know, like a lot of people in America could hardly play in front of 10 people, whereas in the UK they sort of were filling out quite sort of sizable venues. So did you feel the UK were ready for you? Uh, well, number one, people in New York didn't play in front of 10 people. They played in front of hundreds, you know, we played in front of 10 people. Um, but that's okay. It's a, it's a side point. Um, yeah, yeah, I, it was, um, what was the effect? It was gratifying. I mean, we were getting a lot of attention in New York and L.A. and Minneapolis and Chicago. I mean, it was, you know, um, but um, so, you know, but yeah, it was. I mean, the problem with I mean, the thing with Perubu is uh, we don't really connect to anything. You know, we never have. And so. We came over to the UK and we played that place. One of the first show I think we did was that place in Man, the factory thing in Manchester, you know, and 
not it wasn't New Order at that time. It was um, Joy Division. Joy Division and and Smith, Marky Smith, and all of these Manchester Mancunian, you know, legends were in the audience, you know. Um, but it was just all, you know, it was just well, this is what we do. I don't, you know. Uh, we didn't feel particularly connected to it. It, 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 you know, the the whole punk thing to to me was was a retrograde, um, backward looking operation. You know, mainly because, frankly, in America, this we'd all had that stuff in the '60s. It was called garage rock, you know, and um, and I thought it was a bit naive you know i i mean this idea you know everybody's making this big thing about oh well punk rock means just you know anybody can be in a band well hey wait a minute when has it ever been in rock music that you know it wasn't that way you know rock <laughs> music has always been about you know anybody can be in a band you think those you know those garage rock guys you think elvis presley do you think all these you know guys were skilled musician you know were trained you know union musicians no i mean they're just guys you know that were captivated by this sound um yes. so um no I, I mean i hate to sound blase about it but you know it was a gig you know we were happy to be playing somewhere yes. you know we were happy that gee, they're taking us over there. They like us, you know. Yeah. But that's about it. And that was the second part of my interview with David Thomas. Still two more bits of that interview to come, but a little bit more detail about their uh, latest release that's come out on Fire Record Label. This is um, a four-album box set. Uh, it features, and it's referred to as the third and final box set, that includes the albums The Tenement Year, Cloudland, Worlds in Collision, and also The Lost Album. It's titled Le Hericot, Son Sali, I do believe, though that might not be the right pronunciation. But it's French and it's all very groovy. But anyway, check it out, go and buy it because it might just change your life. But anyway, a little bit more music. This is going to be um, the album. Uh, this is from their second album, Dub Housing. And this is a track called Navy that uh, referred to by, um, was re reviewed by Trouser Press as simply one of the most important post punk recordings. So there you go, it must be good.
And that was the track called Navy from the second album, Dub Housing. And this is going to be the third part of my interview with David Thomas from the band, where we talk about his time working with the one and only Richard Thompson. In the early 70s, um, Richard Thompson in Cleveland was the guitar player. It wasn't, you know, you can, you know, you can go through all the guitar players you want. But the one that we we paid attention to was Richard. Um, So... um, uh, you know, Jeff Travis at Rough Trade asked me if I wanted to do a solo record, and I said, "Yeah, all right, I guess. I don't know." You know, and he said, "Well, if you if you're doing a solo record and you could choose one musician in your wildest dreams to work with, who would it be?" And you know, instantly I said, "Richard Thompson." Um, you know, so I went over to his house, and Richard and Linda were there, and. Richard said, I mean, Richard was sort of in a down period, you know, of his career. And, um, and he said, well, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'll, I'll do it. It sounds interesting. I'll do it. You know, and then I later worked with Linda and both those were, you know, I mean, Linda, Linda was, you know, after Sandy Denny died you know, Linda was the female voice, you know, between Sandy Denny and Liza Carthy. You know, she was the one, you know, and she's still magnificent. I wish she didn't have stage fright so much. But, um, um, yeah, those were those were the people. Yes. For us. And how did you find that project? Because obviously when you were sort of, you know, not the captain of the ship, but when you obviously, you know, like the front person of Peru, you know, that was must have been quite a different dynamic to working with someone who was such a sort of you held with such high esteem. Like yeah, it was. Um, it was um, fortunately, I don't have much of an imagination, so I just went ahead and did it. You know, but it was, it was, um, it was unnerving at times. What was, what was. I have two main memories of that. One was when we did some things in London. The first the first time we did a rehearsal in London, Richard brought in this little amp and he set up his guitar and set up the amp and brushed his strings on the guitar. And it was that sound. It was just, you know, me and the other musicians just looked at each other. God, this is Richard Thompson. <laughs> um, and the other memory I have is you know, then he came to Cleveland and we were working on the rehearsals before the session. And um, we were just playing it. We were rehearsing these really funky Cleveland places, you know, that that we would that we always rehearsed in just, you know, beating down old warehouses and crummy parts of the town and, you know, and, you know, going out and getting a hamburger and that sort of stuff. And, you know, and. And and it was like, look, it's Richard Thompson on Madison Avenue. You know, Madison Avenue is this West Side street that's sort of emblematic of a certain vibe in Cleveland. It was like Richard Thompson on Madison Avenue, you know. But anyway, yeah, um, it was um, Richard is a joy. I mean, you know, all you have to do is just turn the machine on and whatever it is, it's brilliant. I mean, I there's very few people I've ever worked with that are such a joy to work with, you know. Excellent. And obviously, with most artists, they found the 80s quite interesting because 
some people sort of got lost in it and others sort of vaguely got found in it. And some people look back and feel a bit embarrassed when they see both the pictures of themselves and also their hairstyles. But obviously you were sort of going from the band to solo back to the band again. So how was the 80, the rest of the 80s for you? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I was doing a lot of work. I did four solo albums or something that, among or maybe more, I can't remember. And among them, the album that I consider my masterpiece, which is the Monster album, the Monster Walks the Winter Lake. Um, I was, you know, I I I did things with, you know, I'd, I'd go out with Lindsay Cooper. I don't know if you remember her from Henry Cow, brilliant, oh, yes. brilliant musician and. You know, it'd just be me and Lindsay on bassoon. You know, she'd be playing electric bassoon, you know. And then I did, I had all sorts of various configurations of bands. I I was interested, I, I was, I've always been interested in putting together unusual configurations, you know, and working with people. I, you know, everybody thinks I'm, I'm a, hard person to get along with. I'm really a very easy person to get along with, you know, it, it, as long as you're delivering the goods, you know, I, I guess I'm probably intolerant if I, I'm not intolerant of poor musicianship. I'm not intolerant of lots of things. Um, I'm intolerant of working with somebody that I know can do better and they're not, you know. Um, so if you're not hitting your potential, I kind of start to lose my lose my patience with you, but um, no, I've been fortunate to work with you know with with all sorts of really brilliant people. I I, I I'm honored to have worked with Van Dyke Parks and Percy Heath and and um, Steve Earle and. Uh, uh, Philip Glass and uh, you know lots of people that you know that have been a joy. And that was the third part of my interview with David Thomas. This is David Eastall. There you go. What a coincidence. On the C86 show, just in case, if you want to contact me, we always love your messages, well, as long as they're positive and groovy and slightly constructive. Um, you can, on Facebook or Twitter, just go to at C86show and I will be there. I've just got one more part of the interview with David Thomas before the end of the show, but I think we should play a little bit more music. This is a track called Beach Boys that came from their 1995 album Ray Gun Suitcase.
That was Beach Boys, and that was the track that was taken from their 1995 album, Ray Gun Suitcase. This is going to be the fourth part of my interview with David Thomas. Like I said, it was a long interview, so I've had to cut it up into four little sections. I had to take so much out. It was uh, heartbreaking, really. But anyway, like I said, they've got dates throughout uh, Europe from May to June, and also a date in New York, and they're also promoting their last studio album, plus their box set, so there's lots to uh, engage with. And I have to say, if you haven't listened to them for a while, then it's worth checking out and rediscovering them all over again. And if you have never heard them before, do check out Perubu, because they are pretty rock and roll. But anyway, this is the part of the interview when I started talking about, um, I suppose, actually, we got into David Bowie and the ability to re Well, number one, you know, this whole notion of Bowie reinventing himself is I get kind of bored with hearing it because all they did was go out and buy some new clothes, you know, but um, that's not to disparage Bowie. Bowie was a talented fellow. Um, but reinventing, eh, um, uh, I, I had no notion of reinventing. I just, I would get to the end of a project and I'd think, oh, that was good. What can I do? What else can I do? You know, um, I, 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 I really have an aversion to repeating myself. If I, if I find that I'm doing something that I've already done or using tricks or using techniques that I've used before, I, 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 I get embarrassed. I, I just think, well, I should, I should be doing, you know, I, I like doing new things, you know, in different ways and working in different ways. I like to watch people work. You know, I like to study how somebody else works. You know, I could very happily just sit all day in a studio watching somebody else do something and learning from it. Um, so I like to be in situations where I'm watching somebody else work and learning from it and also producing something. You know, um, it's, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, um, planning that goes in at times i you know i get to the end of something and i think well what's next you know and i think about where i can extend it or how i can push it or push the envelope 
you know, it, it, it's it's all about the astronauts. You know, the astronauts. If you ever read read the book, the right stuff. You oh know, yes, which is, Tom Wolfe. Yeah, well, that's that's a critical book. You know, that's that's all. You know, and you know, and the astronauts all and the test pilots all talked about keeping an even strain. And I was really. I was really taken with that concept of keeping an even strain, you know. Um, so, um, yeah. Yes, because obviously, I mean, one book that you've often mentioned um, is Hearts, is it Heart of Darkness? Yeah. The, the, the Journey. Is this the one by Joseph Conran, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. I mean, so was, was this kind of also a very influential publication book or novel in your life well sure certainly the, the yeah i mean um especially the notion of the heart of darkness you know and how that relates to cleveland and um and in in the flats and um um our environment there you know um i'm i'm taken with you know i was taken with the correlation. I, I seem to be taken with the road, you know, with the journey, with the movement, you know, with the, you know, I, I, I've said before that, you know, as, as young men, we, we, were, we were given, we inherited this magnificent vehicle, this chromium, shining and powerful vehicle. And we said to ourselves, let's get this out on the highway in Pennsylvania and, and, and let's open this baby up and see where it goes, you know. And so we're, we're cruising through the wilderness of Pennsylvania and you come to an exit sign, you know, that says satisfied city, exit one mile, you know. And you think to yourself, well, this, is, this would be good. Satisfied city would be a good place to stop and, and get on with things, you know, and but then you see the road disappear over the hill, over the over the horizon, and you know. And I gotta know, I gotta know what's on the other side of that hill, you know. So you 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 keep on going. You pass Satisfied City, and you keep on going, you know. And eventually, you're maybe out in the pl- the Great Plains somewhere, and you see another sign: Exit One Mile, Satisfied City. And, you, and, and then you look at the road disappearing over the hill, and you got to know. You got to know what's over the hill, you know. So eventually, eventually, I'll I'll pull. You pull that magnificent vehicle now clapped out, and the radiator steaming, and the doors are hanging off, and the mufflers dragging, and you drive it out on the beach in Santa Monica, which is Bay City, and um, you know you. The doors fall off, and you walk to the water's edge of the the uh, of the, the great Pacific immovable object, and you know you hope the end comes quickly before you think about every exit to satisfied city that you've passed by, you know, to get there. You know, I gotta know. I gotta know what's over the hill. That's all there is. So yes, a lot of a lot of the lyrics and the content of Perubu songs are about that. And and they're really songs that are about, I mean, Perubu is not political. It's not particularly social. It's not anything. It's music that doesn't fit. 
you know, and it, and it and about people who don't fit. And that was my fourth part of the interview with David Thomas from the band Prayer Rebu, as if you didn't know that. Um, I've got one little bit uh, left, which only lasts about 30 seconds. But before we play that, I think we should play another track from their last album. This is a track called A Prisoner of the Senses, and this is from their 19, or 19, 2017 album, 20 Years in a Montana m- Missile silo. I know it is a bit of a mouthful, but there you go. I got there in the end. I don't know if it's a green or blue. I don't know if it's in love with you. I think that's a prison of the senses. Yeah, that's a prison of the senses. Something far away has come to me I know the sum of the parts of contingencies I don't know if it's a picking of food I would deny it That I don't know what is true I take the time to find a better run out the sheep The attitude, opportunity knocks the fitter That's a prison of the senses Yeah That's a prison of the senses a track called a prisoner prison of the senses and uh, like i said that came from their last studio album this is the last little bit of the interview that i did with david thomas where i ask him what he would say to his 18 year old self and um, yes it's short it's sweet and he gets right to the point my advice to any young musician has always been really simple quit don't do it you won't be happy you know, it's it, it better to do something else. But um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really give advice. I don't want to give advice. I don't. I, you know, I, I I work. It's just what I do. I work. I don't have a family. I don't. I don't. Um, I hardly know anybody. I have very few friends. Um, I don't do anything other than work. 
And that definitely is the last part of the interview that I had with David Thomas. A big thank you for giving me the time for that interview. And um, yes, thank you for listening. This has been David Esau. This has been the C86 show. I think we'll play one more song and that will be it uh, for part one. Anyway, this is going to be a track called Come Home. of the road.